Good day, and thank you for standing by, and welcome to Barron Systems, Inc. Q2 Fiscal 2022 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to Matthew Frankel. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good afternoon, and thank you for joining our conference call today. I'm here with Dan Bodner, Barron CEO, Doug Robinson, Barron CFO, and Alan Roden, Barron's Chief Corporate Development Officer. Before getting started, I'd like to mention that, that accompanying our call today is a WebEx with slides. If you'd like to view these slides in real time during the call, please visit the IR section of our website at Barron.com. Click on the Investor Relations tab, click on the webcast link, and select today's conference call. I'd also like to draw your attention to the fact that certain matters discussed in this call may contain forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 and other provisions of federal securities laws. These forward-looking statements are based on management's current expectations and are not guarantees of future performance. Actual results could differ materially from those expressed in or implied by these forward-looking statements. The forward-looking statements are made as the date of this call and, except as required by law, Verin assumes no obligation to update or revise them. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. For a more detailed discussion of how these and other risks and uncertainties could cause Barron's actual results to differ materially from those indicated in these forward-looking statements, please see our Form 10-K for the fiscal year into Jan 31, 2021, and other filings we make with the SEC. The financial measures discussed today include non-GAAP measures, as we believe investors focus on those measures in comparing results between periods and among our peer companies. Please see today's WebEx slides and our earnings release in the Investor Relations section on our website at Barrett.com for a reconciliation of non-GAAP financial measures to GAAP measures. Non-GAAP financial information should not be considered in isolation from, as a substitute for, or superior to GAAP financial information. It is included because management believes it provides meaningful supplemental information regarding our operating results when assessing our business and is useful to investors for informational and comparative purposes. The non-GAAP financial measures the company uses have limitations and may differ from those used by other companies. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Dan. Dan? Thank you, Matt. I'm pleased to report a strong second quarter across all key cloud metrics with both revenues and diluted EPS coming in ahead of our expectations. Since the completion of the Cognite spin at the beginning of the year, we've experienced strong cloud momentum and cross the midpoint of our cloud transition. We expect our cloud momentum to continue in the second half of the year, and we are raising our our annual outlook for both revenue and diluted EPS. We are also raising our annual outlook for new PLE bookings, which we believe is an important metric during our cloud transition. Let me start today's discussion with a review of our Q2 cloud KPIs. First, I'll review new PLE bookings, growth, and mix. To remind you, new perpetual license equivalent bookings normalizes the mix of perpetual and such bookings to compare bookings growth period over period. In Q2, new PLE came in strong with 17% year-over-year growth, reflecting our continued strong bookings momentum. 
Also, the percentage of new PME that came from SaaS continued to increase. In Q2, 53% of our new PME bookings came from SaaS, up from 51% in Q1, representing the second quarter of crossing the midpoint of a cloud transition. In addition, I'm pleased to report 20 SaaS deals over $1 million TCV in Q2, an increase of 100% year over year. Overall, you can see on the slide, all of our bookings metrics came in strong in Q2. Looking at revenue, non-GAAP cloud revenue was also strong with 44% year-over-year growth. Later, I will discuss the relationship between booking growth in current periods and revenue growth in future periods. Behind our strong momentum is our strategy to drive automation in customer engagement across the enterprise with our open cloud platform. We believe that more and more brands are embracing digital first engagement and that we are uniquely positioned to help them with our open, partner-friendly, and infrastructure-agnostic cloud platform. I would like to briefly discuss our platform. It has been designed with an open, multi-cloud architecture and provides our customers a unified engagement data hub and a broad set of AI and analytics engines. As the platform is completely open, Customers are able to deploy our workforce engagement, digital engagement, and experience management solutions based on their business priorities. The platform is designed to help brands close the engagement capacity gap by reducing their operating costs while elevating the customer experience. To illustrate the value of our platform, I'm happy to share the results of a study performed by Forrester Consulting that examined the potential ROI and business benefits of our solutions. The study encompassed varying customers that handled 10 million interactions annually in the aggregate and found that on average, these customers achieved a payback period of under six months and a 400% return on their investment over four years. This ROI was achieved through a variety of improvements, including a 45% deflection of calls to less expensive channels, a 44% improvement in contact center efficiency, a 20% improvement in agent productivity, and an 8% reduction in employee turnover. To drive even more value for our customers, We continue to innovate our cloud platform, providing customers new functionality to power the workforce of people and bots, to embrace an enterprise-wide customer experience culture, and to harness data to drive more AI and analytics into their business. Another important differentiation of our cloud platform is the open design that makes it seamlessly fit with existing enterprise ecosystems. 
This is very important for our customers, and I would like to discuss three aspects of our open imperative. First, relative to communication infrastructure, including CCAS, UCAS, and CPAS, Verant's platform is agnostic and enables our customers to quickly integrate with the vendor of their choice. We've recently seen some M&A activity among communication infrastructure vendors that combine these three infrastructure solutions into a single vendor. We believe this should benefit Verant as a pure play enterprise application platform with an open infrastructure agnostic strategy. Second, many of our customers are using CRM solutions as a system of record for sales, marketing, and service functions. The Verant platform augments CRM solutions and will enable our customers to easily integrate data between Verant platform and their CRM systems. And third, for enterprise data and BI systems, we provide access to a wealth of engagement data managed by the variant platform that can be easily shared with enterprise data lakes. Our open platform is driving wins of new logos as well as expansions with our customer base. Some of the new logos we won in the first half of the year include FedEx, Global Payments, Norton LifeLock, and Vodacom. Leading companies around the world select variants because of our market-leading open cloud platform, broad customer ecosystem, and partner ecosystem, and are focused as a pure-play customer engagement company. Variant is a broad customer base, and in Q2, we received multi-million dollar expansion orders as our customers continue to evolve their digital-first engagement strategies. As I mentioned earlier, in Q2, we had 20 SaaS orders with TCV greater than $1 million. Here are two examples of Q2 expansion deals. The first is a $3 million SaaS order we received from one of the world's largest financial services companies. This customer had applications for multiple vendors, including Variant, and decided to consolidate their existing applications onto the Variant platform while expanding with additional functionality. Variant selection was driven by the value the customer saw in the Variant platform, delivering strong ROI, and our ability to connect customer engagements across their contact centers and branches. The second expansion example is a $2 million order from a leading transportation company. This win was due to the best of breed functionality of our open platform and a strategy of working closely with partners. We are very pleased with a strong first half momentum and are raising our annual non-GAAP guidance as follows. For new PLE bookings, we are raising our growth outlook to 15%, up from our initial, uh, initial guidance of 10%. For cloud revenue growth, we are raising our growth outlook to 35%, up 
up from our prior range of 30 to 35 percent. For revenue, we are raising our guidance to $872 million at the midpoint. And for diluted EPS, we are raising our guidance to $2.25. Doug will provide further details on our revised guidance shortly. We believe our strong performance this year positions us well for accelerated revenue growth going forward, which I will discuss next. In Q1, we provided three-year targets and explained why we expect our revenue growth to accelerate as we cross the midpoint of our cloud transition. Our three-year targets were based on an assumption for new PLE booking to grow at the 10% CAGR. We discussed that the 10% level over the three-year period is expected to drive higher revenue growth rates next year and the year after. With two quarters under our belt as a pure play customer engagement company in which we overachieved the 10% level and built strong momentum, we now have increased confidence in our long-term targets. Overall, I'm very pleased with our first half results, the number of competitive wins we experienced, and the momentum we have going into the second half of the year. Now let me turn the call over to Doug. Doug? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Good afternoon, everyone. Our discussion today will include non-GAAP financial measures, a reconciliation between our GAAP and our non-GAAP financial measures is available, as Matt mentioned, in our earnings release and in the IR section of our website. Differences between our GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures include adjustments related to acquisitions, including fair value revenue adjustments, amortization of acquisition-related intangibles, certain other acquisition-related expenses, stock-based compensation expenses, separation-related expenses, as well as certain other items that can vary significantly in amount and frequency from period to period. For certain metrics, it also includes adjustments related to foreign exchange rates. We're pleased to have put up two strong quarters following the spin of our security business. Earlier, Dan reviewed our second quarter results. I'd now like to review our first half, which, as Dan indicated, provides us increased confidence in our fiscal 22 outlook and our ability to accelerate revenue growth longer term. New PLE bookings growth increased 22% year-over-year, with more than half of our software bookings coming from SaaS. We're pleased to have crossed the midpoint of our cloud transition. We had 32 SaaS orders with more than 1 million TCV, an increase of 60% from last year. These these deals drove a 59% increase in new SaaS ACV year-over-year. Many of these SaaS deals are just ramping up and will contribute to revenue growth in the future. Non-GAAP cloud revenue increased 42% year-over-year, while perpetual revenue continued to decline as expected, resulting in total non-GAAP revenue growth of 5% year-over-year. Overall, our business continues to shift towards more recurring revenue, and in the first half of the year, 83% of our software revenue is recurring. Also, remaining performance obligations, or RPO, increased 29% year-over-year. Turning to guidance, we are pleased to be in a position to raise our non-GAAP guidance for the year. Half of our 12 million revenue guidance increase from 860 million to 872 million at the midpoint 
comes from the Converse social acquisition we completed in late August. As the companies break even, we expect it will make no contribution to earnings in H2. Let me also discuss how we see the year progressing. We expect Q3 revenue to be between $215 million to $220 million, with $0.53 cents of diluted EPS at the midpoint, and we expect to finish the year with our typically strong Q4. For annual diluted EPS, we are raising our outlook, and we now expect fully diluted EPS for the year to be approximately $2.25 at the midpoint of our revenue guidance. Let me also provide you some additional detail for modeling purposes. We expect around $1.5 million of interest and other expense in each of Q3 and Q4. We expect about $300,000 of net income from a non-controlling interest we have in a small joint venture in each of Q3 and Q4. We expect a 10% cash tax rate for the second half and for the full year. Regarding our share count, the number of diluted shares we have can fluctuate each quarter depending on the accounting treatment of our convertible preferred. Each quarter, we calculate our diluted EPS two ways including the preferred dividend, but excluding the converted shares, and then excluding the dividend, but including the shares. We then show diluted EPS based on the calculation that is more dilutive for the period. Given our level of expected income, we expect diluted EPS to be very similar under both scenarios, and for Q3 and Q4 modeling purposes, you can just assume the conversion of the preferred stock. So approximately 76 million shares outstanding per quarter for the full year. Turning to our long-term outlook, we are two-quarters into the three-year plan that we laid out at our investor day earlier this year. At this point, we're not raising our long-term targets, but our strong start to the year certainly gives us greater confidence in achieving these targets. So let me take this opportunity to review our current long-term targets. For fiscal 23, we're assuming revenue growth accelerates to the mid-single digits to around 6%. For margins, we expect a little bit of expansion with greater scale and around 10% diluted EPS growth for the year. For items below the operating line, you can use the same assumptions we just discussed for the second half of fiscal 22. For fiscal 24, we're assuming revenue growth accelerates further to high single digits with some additional margin expansion and are targeting $1 billion of revenue, of which $650 million will be cloud and nearly 90% of our software revenue will be recurring. Overall, we're pleased with the start of the current year, and we believe we're well-positioned to achieve our three-year plan with our highly differentiated open cloud platform. So with that, operator, let's open the line for Q&A. Thank you. As a reminder, ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by. We compile the Q&A roster. And our first question comes from Peter Levine from Evercore. Your line is now open. Great. Thanks for taking my question. Correct on a quarter. Uh, I guess first, I mean, obviously based on your results, but are pipelines more predictable today versus where we were when we entered the year? Meaning, are we back to pre-pandemic levels? And I guess if, if not, like outline to us the path or the time frame or the timeline you think it takes to kind of get back there. Yeah, so we we see uh, we we have a large pipeline, but uh, you're right. We also had a large large pipeline last year in COVID. And what we saw last year is uh, certainly the perpetual deals were not happening as, as, as customers would hope for because of COVID, and there was an increase in, in cloud deals. And this year, we actually have a much better uh, close, um, uh, close rates, win, win ratio on, on the pipeline. So I would say back to normal, 
but also the number of cloud deals is, is way uh, higher than last year. We talked about double, right? Uh, the, the $1 million plus deals, we got 20 in, uh, in Q2 versus 10 in Q2 last year. So I think that the shift that we see in the market uh, to cloud is also helping customers to plan what they need and also to execute it uh, because they're not dependent on the perpetual uh, resources they have internally. They're, they're basically buying uh, cloud solutions from the vendor. Perfect. And uh, this is a question. On the acquisition you guys made during the quarter, Cover Social, can you kind of just talk about the strategic rationale and then maybe go into the go-to-market motion, what the go-to-market motion will look like? I mean, is the idea to kind of white-label this this messaging product, essentially having your partners resell it, meaning, like, will 5.9 position this as, as a messaging platform? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think, first of all, our M&A strategy is about our cloud platform and expanding the functionality of our cloud platform. So... With Converse Social, our plan is in a very short time to uh, offer it as part of a cloud platform where it's going to be available to any of our customers or partners as just another application that they consume from the cloud platform. And, and I think we, we discussed last quarter why we think the platform approach is very important. And uh, I made comments earlier about the open platform approach where basically customers can start anywhere. So they can start with messaging, they can start with workforce management, they can start with IBA. Uh, there, there is complete freedom for customers to consume cloud services from the platform based on their business priorities, and then they will expand from there uh, again over time based on what is the most urgent use cases they have. So, so this is the, the, the plan with, uh, with messaging in a very short time frame. And uh, regarding the question about why messaging now, well, we do see that the customer engagement market is shifting to digital, and while we see the number of interactions on the voice telephony side is pretty flat, the number of uh, interactions over digital and messaging is actually growing and growing very, very quickly, and we also see that consumers actually would like to see more Choices. They would like to be able to choose the uh, channel of their choice based on what they're used to, and especially uh, from, from mobile devices. So, conversations bring to variant the ability to offer channels like Twitter and WhatsApp, and this basically completes the offering from variant uh, in terms of uh, flexibility. We can offer our, our customers, brands, basically any choice of uh, uh, assisted service or self-service channels so they can put a complete uh, set of choices in front of their customers and help them to, uh, to have, you know, more flexible customer journeys. And, uh, you know, the feedback we got from industry analysts and customers was extremely positive uh, because it, it is positioning Variant as a strong player, not just relative to the legacy uh, telephony-driven contact center, but also combining telephony and digital channels into uh, a more uh, unified workforce that can uh, handle any type of uh, interaction. And obviously, Variant is very strong with automation, so the workforce is not just humans, but it's a combination of human and bots working side by side. And on the digital channels like messaging, it is obviously very, very uh, important to offer automation because many of the uh, interaction can be done by a bot 
and uh, you know respond very well to um, you know to customer needs. So, for example, if you look at uh, you know Amtrak, when you go to Amtrak and you try to find a schedule or um, or book a ticket, you will talk to Julie, and and Julie is a is a bot that handles five million uh, customer interactions a year, and that, uh, Julie can handle many interactions at the same time. So so the importance here is that consumers don't have to wait, right? Because even if there are you know a hundred consumers trying to do something, they don't have to wait in the queue and get an agent. They they can get instant uh, responses from from Julie. Uh, so as it as it becomes easier for the consumers to uh, engage over digital interaction, the volume of interaction is growing. Uh, we we are all trying to do more uh, from our mobile devices than we used to do with uh, with a telephone call, and uh, and that's important. Uh, that makes it more important to manage a workforce that is uh, human bots working together, so that uh, brands can lower the cost of operation, but at the same time elevate the customer experience. So it, it is positioning variant. Uh, you know, it's a small acquisition, but it's additive to a platform. And uh, you know, together with all the conversational channels and conversational AI, uh, we really support automation across every channel and uh, a very differentiated platform in that in that regard. Hey, thank you for the call. Thank you. And our next question comes from Dan Eyes from Wedbush. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks. Can you talk about, for a typical customer, when they move to cloud, what type of upsell or cross-sell you're generally seeing? I mean, obviously, you're seeing the large deals. We just hit on that. Yeah, so, you know, our customers move to the cloud in two ways. You know, there are customers that convert what they already have from there into the cloud, and then they expand. And we also have customers that do not want to convert right now because, you know, they're quite happy and don't want to disrupt anything. Uh, but they are buying from Variant new solutions that are offered in the cloud. And one of the benefits of Variant is that we are able to support them with a combination of some of their solutions working on-prem, like they always did, and some of the newer solutions like digital, like automation and IVAs and so forth, uh, working in the cloud. And, uh, you know, and then we see customers that, um, you know, uh, move to the cloud with the new solutions, and then they bring their legacy solutions into the cloud over time. So, so we really see all that uh, different scenarios, and I think our customers are very uh, appreciative that we allow them that flexibility, that they can actually innovate faster with new solutions in the cloud, but don't have to carry their legacy stuff into the cloud uh, on, a, some, on some time frame that may not be uh, best for them. And, and I think that's why we see, uh, you know, very strong renewal rates because, you know, our, our software was always sticky, but I think that our renewal rates are high uh, as a result of this flexibility that we, we, we provide our customer in the conversion, uh, in the conversion journey. Great. And, and just as a follow-up, like when you're thinking about million-dollar deals and, and you look at the pipeline, I mean, is it something where, from a trend perspective, this is just going to continue to accelerate? You know, when we think about where it's heading, on, and just more and more customers owning a bigger piece of the, the suite of platform. Uh, definitely, I think that we'll see 
um, definitely more adoption by customers of our cloud platform because it is easier for us and for the customers to expand in the cloud than it was on-prem. You know, with every on-prem expansion, the customers have to initiate a project, they have to involve IT, they have to purchase hardware, uh, integration, uh, and, and, and very often it, it becomes a, a, a complex project and uh, IT, the, their, their internal IT may have uh, limited resources in terms of how fast they can move. Uh, with Cloud Platform, uh, our, our business users basically bypass all that uh, process and they just consume more applications from the same Cloud Platform. So we, we expect more adoption um, in the cloud platform. Now, whether they're, they're going to buy that in, you know, one purchase of multi-million dollar deal or small incremental um, deals that could be hundreds of thousands each one, but multiple deals like this uh, every quarter, I think that can go either way uh, because many customers want to uh, try before buying new functionalities, so may, they may want to start something new uh, at a low volume uh, but then expand over time. So I think we will see growth in terms of spending, but, uh, you know, we'll see both uh, more multi-million multi dollar deals but also higher spend per customer in the Veron Club platform. Great, thanks. Thank you. And our next question comes from Charlotte Eyal from Cohen. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Congrats on the uh, performance and improved outlook. Um, Dan or, or Doug, um, so you've crossed the midpoint of your cloud transition. Congrats on that front. Um, can you talk about the impact maybe also the longer-term impact uh, on the financial model, and I have a follow-up. Sure. So I'll start, and I'll have Doug uh, give some more, more details. Uh, but we believe that crossing the midpoint is a big deal. Uh, we, we saw that with other companies that uh, had a cloud transition journey and, and, and had very positive impacts on crossing the midpoint. So um, let me start with some operational aspects. So... Operationally, the second half is much easier because in the first half, you know, we had to make many changes in how we sell to our customers, you know, the commission plan, how we incentivize the sales force. Uh, this was a lot of changes. And while the second half is now more about timing of customer decisions, how fast they're going to adopt the, the, the cloud, but it's, it's not, doesn't require that many changes uh, into our model and, and operational uh, procedures. So uh, it, operationally, that gives us a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, flexibility. Now, from the financial model, uh, there are benefits to growth rates, there are benefits to margins, and there are benefits to cash flows. Uh, so let me start, um, um, and, and maybe Doug can give more on the cash flow side. Uh, first on the revenue growth, um, so it, it accelerates – even if, even if we don't have, we don't accelerate booking, and we did see, you know, great booking momentum in H1, but, uh, as I mentioned before, our, our three target assumed 10% PLE growth, and even with a flat booking growth, we can, we will see, um, higher revenue growth because, uh, there's less headwind, 
from the current uh, period, perpetual decline, and there is the, all the benefits of the booking and uh, all the strong booking we report now will impact growth rates in the future. And, of course, with the cloud platform, and we talked about, uh, you know, expansion in the platform and so on, we, we, we certainly think that, uh, you know, uh, this will accelerate the, the, the revenue growth. And we, we expect revenue growth of 6%. We really didn't change our three-year targets. Doug, uh, Doug mentioned that before. Uh, it's too soon. Uh, H1 was great, but we, we, we really just uh, confirming our three-year targets today. Uh, we talked about mid, uh, mid-cycle digits next year, around 5%. Uh, Doug mentioned 6% as we have, uh, you know, one more percent now from um, the acquisition of Converse Social. Um, and then we expect high single digit to get to a billion dollars uh, in 24. Now, uh, earning also will benefit because we expect uh, margin expansion a little bit next year. So EPS will grow 10%. And, and more in 24, where EPS will, will uh, expand into, you know, uh, around 12%. And, and the final thing is that, um, you know, in addition to the revenue and, and margin, uh, cash flow, uh, we also expand faster. Um, and we expand actually 20% growth in cash flow, but uh, that maybe you can expand, ex- explain more about, you know, the, the, the outlook on cash flow. Yeah, sure, Dan. Yeah, it's uh, it's all really uh, the same thing, right? It's the beauty of that waterfall. So that same thing that was giving us the headwind as we began the cloud transition, um, you know, built up that uh, RPO and the deferred revenues, um, and and that's all coming in now, right? So you can see as we go forward over the next couple of years, you can see that in our three-year targets, uh, the accelerated revenue growth, uh, that drives accelerated earnings, of course. Uh, you know, the, co- the cost structure was always what it was. Um, but that uh, that revenue was a little bit of headwind now kind of catching up. Um, and the same thing is true in the cash also, right? So as you go through this cloud transition, you know, the next couple of years we'll have some very strong cash flow uh, and then kind of normalize out uh, beyond the next couple of years. So, yeah, as Dan mentioned, you know, this year, um, you know, we're going to probably end up about $150 um, million in terms of that's a gap cash from ops. If you exclude the separation and some of those other, you know, cash costs we had this year, uh, you know, the year of the spin, if you will, uh, probably be around 180. Uh, and then we expect that to grow like 20% the next couple of years uh, because we're going to get that cash waterfall happening uh, at the same, you know, along with, uh, you know, the, the revenue top line waterfall for the same kind of cloud transition reasons, right? So, you know, what was the headwind is turning into the tailwind, um, you know, as we kind of go through time here. So that's uh, certainly to the financial uh, model benefit. Yeah, and, and just to add to this, Doug, uh, uh, so 180 is what we expect, uh, excluding the, the, the spin-related expenses this year. Of course, we don't have this, this spin-related uh, next year, so we expect that 180 to grow 20% next year and then another 20% the following year, uh, which is uh, clearly ahead of uh, our EPS growth, so that, that's another benefit of uh, being in the second half of the, of the transition. Understood, understood. And Dan, maybe from really a bird's eye view, um, as someone who had been within the industry for such a long time, you know, we, we had seen over the course of the past, or even six to 12 months, an acceleration of market consolidation. You know, Zoom 5.9, Toma Bravo consolidating two related assets. Um, do, do we see the blurring of the swim lanes, you know, between 
know, the infrastructure, the, the, the application, kind of the services, you know, the, the, the CCAS and the UCAS. How, how are you thinking uh, about, you know, some of those acceleration, accelerating trends uh, within uh, the current environment? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as you know, there, there, there has been debates uh, in the industry for quite some time on whether the market is going to go to vertical integration. So, the contact center companies will integrate infrastructure with applications, or whether the market is going to go to enterprise consolidation of infrastructure and enterprise consolidation of applications. And I think the deals you mentioned uh, um, are very important data points that actually point to the second uh, uh, theory or scenario. So what we saw is, you know, uh, 5.9, which is a connect center CCAS company, combining with uh, Zoom, which is an enterprise uh, communication collaboration company, to create a very strong um, infrastructure that they can deliver across the enterprise. Whether it's a CCAS, UCAS, CPAS, uh, customers really want to, um, uh, you know, to, to have strong infrastructure which is reliable and uh, where, where they can get the efficiencies of scale. And it doesn't matter whether the person that engaged the customers is in the contact center or is on the website engaging through uh, some, you know, uh, automation. Uh, because the, the, the market is moving very quickly, not just to um, reactive um, engagement, but proactive, right? Reactive is where you as a consumer is a problem, you call the contact center. Proactive is there's a flight cancellation. We now notify 500 passengers that the flight was canceled, and we right away engage them into how they can book another flight or something else they need. Um, so that engagement is no longer, proactive engagement is longer at the contact center. It's, it's becoming part of, you know, uh, other parts of the organization. Uh, we talked about uh, some deals we won in Q2, and there was also deals in Q1 where we have financial services companies that wanted to manage the workforce across the branch and the contact center as one workforce because it doesn't matter if the uh, consumer walk into a branch or they engage electronically with, with, um, you know, with the contact center or with the website. They, they really need to manage it holistically. So the bottom line is, I think, when you look at uh, Zoom 5.9, I think it's a strong data point of infrastructure consolidation across the enterprise. And then when you look at um, another day like Qualtrics and Clarabridge, well, Qualtrics is a CX company and Clarabridge is interaction analytics, again, uh, consolidation of applications across the enterprise, where garbage is mostly in the contact center and Qualtrics is mostly outside the contact center. Uh, so uh, it, did, it does make sense to me. We saw that in other software markets where first there was infrastructure consolidation of the data center and then there was enterprise consolidation across different uh, parts of the enterprise, and uh, what we see from customers is that they can no longer run their customer operation in silos. They, they're looking for applications that cut across the silos and connect them well uh, to uh, basically elevate the customer experience. Got it. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. And our next question comes from Samed Samana from Jeffries. Your line is now open. 
Hi, great. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, maybe one, just given the the consolidation that you've mentioned in the industry, um, and, and you know the company itself being more than halfway through its cloud transition, I was wondering if you could maybe help us understand for your install base of of WFO um, customers, how much of it is um, is attached to a true cloud contact center vendors users versus uh, an on-premise deployment um, with a legacy or an incumbent solution. I guess I'm just trying to map where where your install base is, what, not what, whether they're in the cloud or not, but what they're using on the on the routing side, how much of that's moved to the cloud in your install base. Yeah, I think a good chunk of it uh, moved to the cloud. I think, uh, you know, our customers uh, separate the decision on applications from infrastructure. So uh, they may have moved to the variant cloud while keeping infrastructure on-prem, or they have moved to the variant cloud and to um, infrastructure cloud at the same time. Uh, but, you know, they don't have to make the decision uh, at the same time. And, and many customers look at their kind of infrastructure and they want to make the decision together with uh, their enterprise communication platform. So if they want to move to Teams, they're looking, you know, um, to, to, and especially when you think about digital channels, right? Digital channels are not really married to uh, connect center infrastructure because when you think about chat, chat is offered in a connect center, but it's also offered on any website. It's also a marketing tool. And definitely messaging like, uh, uh, um, you know, Messenger and Twitter and WhatsApp um, are, are channels that are being used by the enterprise, not exclusively in the connect center. So the old way of thinking about, you know, telephony, I have my infrastructure for telephony in the connect center, and that's different from my telephony in the enterprise. Um, all that is blurred now because of, of digital, and, and customers see that the number of uh, telephony calls are not growing, but the number of digital interaction is growing exponentially. So, so the decisions are, you know, decoupled. Um, and... Uh, I, I think that, you know, uh, not all of our customers report to us what they do with infrastructure. So I, I, I don't have pure and perfect numbers, but anecdotally what we hear is that they, they, they prefer, many of them prefer to kind of make those decisions decoupled because uh, infrastructure change does not really create ROI. It's not helping them to close the engagement capacity gap. It provides IT a lot of flexibility, but it's not about business ROI, where the variant uh, applications are all about ROI. You know, we, we, we talked before about the Forrester study and, and the ROI customers. So every, every sale that we do, we start with what is the business um, problem and what is the expected ROI? And then we sell and you know into that target and help them measure the ROI that they generate, both in terms of hard dollars they save as well as elevating the customer experience. Um, in a nutshell, I think that uh, you know what we see is uh, more and more decoupling of the two decisions. Um, and, and, and I would say that, you know, that most of our customers are mid-market mid, mid to large enterprise. Uh, I think at the small end of the market, it's different. I think there, uh, there's much less focus on infrastructure and, and, and applications, 
so it's a different dynamics, but it's not really uh, where Variant is uh, operating. Helpful. And then maybe, Doug, just a housekeeping question. I'm sorry, I missed what the conversational uh, impact would be for, um, for, for the, to, the, to the guidance in dollars. Yeah, so conversational, um, uh, basically we paid $50 million for the company. Um, it's generating about a little bit more than a million dollars a month. So we expect, and, it's, and it was breaking even, so we expect uh, for the remainder of the year, we expect about $6 million of revenue and no contribution to EPS. And um, uh, this is about, you know, we raised guidance for this year, uh, $12 million, so this is about 50% of the guidance is uh, from the acquisition and, and 50% is organic. And, uh, and for next year, you know, we, because this is going to be, uh, uh, you know, over five months this year and seven months next year, it's about 1% contribution to next year growth. Okay, great. And then just maybe, maybe kind of zooming out a little bit, just as we think about your, you know, there's, there's been consolidation, um, as, as again, we've talked about, but I want to maybe touch on the company's own acquisition strategy. Um, going forward, how should we think about maybe what, what are your, like what's the area that you're most focused on? Um, especially now that you just digested the, the or you just completed the conversational acquisition, um, would it be more on, uh, on the digital side or is there another area that we should be thinking about? Yeah, so, so first just, just to make clear that we, you know, when we set the three-year targets for a billion dollars in 24, we, we, we set clearly this is organic Target. So uh, we're not trying to, to to manage into a financial number when we, when it comes to M and A strategy. Uh, it's really more about expanding the cloud platform functionality and accelerating growth. So the areas that we we think are very important to us to accelerate is obviously automation, and in that regard, I think it's it's data, AI, and analytics. And there's lots of small companies that have innovation that uh, potentially could be good addition to our platform. Um, and then, you know, around uh, uh, digital, again, the, the, the changes in that area of the market is so so fast that uh, while, while we innovate organically, uh, we think that, uh, you know, a lot of companies that maybe have no revenue or very little revenue could become uh, very innovative, very quickly, and, and make a difference. So we're definitely looking at uh, uh, tuck-ins acquisitions on the digital side as well. Great. Thank you again for my questions. Yeah, sure. Thank you. And our next question comes from Dan Bergstrom from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions. Say the SaaS booking mix remains impressive. Fifty-three percent of PLA bookings from SaaS, up a thousand basis points year over year. Just given that strength and trajectory here, is SaaS trending towards sixty percent still the right way to think of the booking bookings mix for the year? Yes, I think that we expect Q3 and Q4 to continue to increase the mix towards SaaS. That's what our pipeline suggests. Um. And, and, and you know that we've been, you know, uh, 40% last year, so, so things are, are moving pretty, pretty quickly in that regard. And, and I think that's what I mentioned about the second half being easier than the first half, uh, because we, we now, we now, uh, 
uh, spending less time on making changes to our model and really just looking at what is the pipeline and what do we think customers are going to do. And we also see the customer that tell us that they're going to go SaaS are actually doing it. Uh, you know, last year it was more we'd like to go SaaS, but we're not sure yet. Uh, I think our pipeline suggests now a uh, continued increase in the mix uh, from the 51 to 53 and, and, and toward the 60%. Great. And then maybe one for Doug. Doug, RPO growth, again, remains strong, 29%. Anything to point out behind the continued strength here, or is it just, just as simple as multi-year commitments from cloud customers? Yeah, I think it's the latter, Dan. So, I mean, that, that's going to be a derivative, really, of these, uh, you know, the SaaS bookings growth. Uh, you know, as we build that up and accelerate that, it just adds to the RPO that then kind of waterfalls into the future that we had talked about a few moments ago. Great, thanks. Thank you. And our next question comes from Ryan McDonald from Needham. Great, thanks for taking my questions and congrats on a great quarter. Uh, Dan, maybe first one for you. I think it was uh, in answering Shaw's first question earlier on the call about the, the first half versus the second half of this cloud transition. You mentioned in the second half it's, it's more dependent on the timing uh, of when your customers want to make that transition. Just curious, given the positive commentary and the confidence you've got in sort of the 23 and 24 targets, we'd just be curious to know how those conversations are going with customers and, and what level of visibility you're starting to see as we get into the back half of this year for migrations within that base, you know, over in, as we enter 23 and 24. Thanks. Yes, so uh, what, what we mentioned uh, in prior calls and on Investor Day was that we think that uh, some of our largest customers will continue to be perpetual. So we talked about, you know, when we get to the billion dollars, uh, we talked about 90% of our software will be recurring, but there still be around $100 million of perpetual that we expect uh, will not convert to SaaS, not, not in 24. Um, I, I can say that uh, that's still pretty much the case. Uh, I, I think it, it, it's concentrated in maybe a few tens of customers. This is, you know, the vast majority of our close to 10,000 customers are very much um, committed to move to SaaS. It's just a matter of which quarter they're going to do it, and, uh, and this is, you know, really based on their individual uh, uh, circumstances. But uh, but there are a few tens of customers that are large enough that uh, they, they don't feel they need to um, uh, buy in a different model. Having said that, I think what's interesting that even those large customers are starting to build cloud themselves. So while they may not be moving to a public cloud for a lot of reasons that I think they, they have good reasons, they're big enough to actually own the cloud, and uh, we see that they are building cloud, and at some point they're going to need uh, a native cloud architecture. So I, I think that even if they don't move to the public cloud, they may be moving to a subscription and, and to, uh, to our native cloud architecture software. Uh, but that, that's kind of uh, an interesting discussion we're having recently, but it, it doesn't change our, our long-term targets. And if any, you know, we, we're just going to see uh, acceleration in cloud transition, uh, not, not, not the opposite. 
Great. That, that's really helpful. And maybe a follow-up for Doug. Doug, um, you know, we've been hearing more and more commentary about this this idea that the, the tight labor market is, is sort of, you know, causing uh, companies uh, to fall behind on hiring plans and, and resulting in higher costs uh, uh, for labor. Just curious if, uh, if you're seeing anything uh, of those dynamics within your business today and, and, and if we should expect any impact from a, from a cost perspective as we think about the financial model. Thanks. Well, I think, you know, we're all experiencing it. I think it's uh, harder, not easier, but uh, we haven't seen anything significant enough to kind of alter our model. Um, so, you know, we're just trying to, you know, weather through it and, um, you know, do, do our best uh, to get the, the folks that we want and to, you know, retain, uh, you know, our existing folks um, and, and not, uh, you know, impact the cost structure uh, going forward. Yeah, but I think that uh, hiring this year so far is on track. So we, we, we've hired to our budget, and we're able to hire talent uh, all over the world. So we, we're not just in one area, especially technical talents. We hire in many different uh, geographies. And I really feel good about our position um, because we, we're able to offer uh, a great culture. I think we, we, we're having really good uh, – feedback from for employees about, you know, our customer-centric culture. We are operating in a very interesting, very dynamic market. The customer engagement market is just fascinating. And uh, we have a very clear and strong vision for our platform, uh, which is also exciting for candidates. So um, you couple that with competitive compensation and benefits, and, and I think we, we are a very attractive opportunity for candidates because what, what happens now, and, and this is, I think, the backdrop to, to what you described as a, as a very active labor market, is that uh, people make all kind of career decisions post-COVID, you know, balancing life and work and changing careers. It, 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 it seems like it's a post-COVID reaction that maybe people just want to look at different things. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when they, they want to make this career change, they, they really want to be part of companies that – have a, a very attractive opportunities, and it's all a relative game. So when we, when we think about how we attract talent, it's not just giving them competitive compensation plan, uh, but it's really more important thinking about the overall package of, you know, what, what does it take for a key talent that have options to work in many different tech companies? Why, why would they want to work uh, in variant? And especially in post-spin, right, when we, we finished the spin two quarters ago, we have great momentum, uh, very, very clear pure play vision. Uh, I think we're getting really a lot of success with, with hiring. Great. Helpful color. Thanks very much. Thank you. And the next question comes from Tim Hearn from Oppenheimer. Your line is now open. Thanks, guys. I wonder if you have any color on the, the 400% productivity you're citing now, um, what that would have been a few years ago. Um, I guess I'm trying to get at how much has the product improved over the last few years um, and, you know, how much can it improve a few years from now. Thanks. Yes. Um, well, I, I can tell you that we made a lot of improvements, and I'll give you a few examples, but I can also say that our customers are measuring the ROI more than they did before. Um, I, if I look 10 years ago, uh, you know, it was more of an infrastructure kind of 
connection infrastructure play where, yeah, let's some, buy some productivity tools in addition. But things got much more complicated because of the digital transition and the increase in volume, which is really uh, something the industry didn't see. Um, and that increase in volume is creating a, an engagement capacity gap. So our customers more and more feel like, oh, there's more interactions. I need to add people. But they can't, add, can't afford to add more people. So, so how do you, how do you uh, provide your consumers the experience they expect and, you know, with messaging, for example, you go on Twitter, you say something, you expect the company to react pretty quickly. Uh, if, if they don't, you just, you just, you know, assume that they don't care. Um, so things have changed. And uh, higher consumer expectations, high, you know, much more volume of interactions, and companies cannot afford to hire more people. So the pressure on companies to measure ROI, measure productivity, and understand, you know, Everybody can tell them a story when, you know, during the sales process, and it's easy to produce uh, slides. But they really want to understand what is going to be the impact on our eye because they can't afford spending more money, but they also cannot afford not to, not to elevate the customer experience. So um, now to the question about improvements in technology. So, so let's look at, you know, I talked before about um, IDA, and, you know, I gave an example of uh, Ask Julie, which is a, an Amtrak um, uh, automated assistant. And, you know, it's all about being able to deflect uh, interactions from expensive channels, like a human person, to less expensive channels like a bot. But obviously, if you force your, your customers to go to the bot and they can't get the answers, you are deflecting the conversation away from the human channels, but you're not creating the right level of customer experience. So how effective is the bot in um, producing the right answers and, and, and clearly deflecting that call and successfully completion to successful completion is definitely, definitely an improvement in technology. Um, and, and today AI technology is much more capable in, um, you know, understanding the intent of the consumer, being able to provide contextual knowledge, and respond in real time to, um, uh, to consumer requests, and therefore there is a higher level of, of successful deflection away from more expensive channels. So just one example of how, how the, the, you know, uh, the, the, the technology is improving and therefore applications are not just check the box, but it's really customers really need to measure, you know, you know they purchase an application, is it really uh, um, delivering the expected ROI? And are they able to measure now? Are they starting to measure improvements in quality or maybe revenue generation? Because I'm assuming the productivity measurement you cited is really just expense. Uh, yeah, but are, are they ever able? To, are they starting to measure these software things? So we we provide in our software many more reports and metrics for our customers to measure. Uh, so over time, we added the ability to. Uh, our customers to decide which of the metrics are important in their environment and, and, and provide them, you know, real-time reports so that agents can self-correct, uh, real-time reports to supervisors so they can coach agents, as well as trending reports to management so they see the, the trends in, in, in productivity, the trends in first call resolution, the trend in deflection, the trend in, you know, MPS calls. You know, uh, yes, it's becoming more for science, and our software is definitely 
improving in terms of the um, uh, metrics reporting that we, we provide our customers. So, so just lastly, I mean, it, it seems like uh, it seems like the product should almost sell itself to existing customers. They're, they're seeing very high churn in their call centers, impossible to hire new people, and uh, you have evidence on an incremental basis that you're having you know major positive impacts on them. But you know, for lack of a you know better word, I guess, it, it, can you just describe that sales motion to existing customers? Yes. Um, so I, I think that um, when you sell an application platform, again, you start with identifying a business problem that the customers feel like they, know, they want to solve. And, you know, some customers really don't know uh, what they want to solve. And they, you know, they use uh, consultants or uh, advisory firms or system integrators to, to, to uh, uh, you know, decide what, what, is the most important business problem. But where, where, where our sales force come in is, you know, uh, discussing the different problems and discussing what is the potential ROI and then being, you know, being helpful to the customers to decide, what, what, you know, what is their journey going to look like. And, you know, some of our customers have tens of thousands of employees. They, you know, we discussed before that customer engagement is very labor intense. So uh, they really need to decide what is their priority and how they want to uh, uh, change their, their, you know, change management internally in order to drive this ROI. Um, I think there's, as, you know, a number of things are changing now, um, and, and our customers are responding well, but, it, you know, it, it, it's something that they need to absorb. So, you know, historically, we sold applications on a fit basis, right? Ten years ago, Almost entirely, we sold the, the, the portfolio on a seed basis. A cloud platform today is on a volume basis. Because when we talk about, you know, like, um, you know, IDA and robotic, uh, there's no seats. Uh, they're bots. So you basically charge the customers by the volume, the number of questions that consumers are able to uh, complete by asking uh, the bot. And, and that's a volume based. Now, what's interesting about that is that the, the more the customers shift the, the, the questions to the variant solution, the more they pay variants, right, because they pay us by volume. But if you think about it, every uh, call that they deflect from, you know, a voice channel or digital channel, they save a lot of money. That's basically a win-win um, a decision. They, they, they will pay very more, but they will pay other vendors much less, and they will not have to increase their workforce. So this is the this is the, the discussions. Customers need to decide. Okay, you know, if our priority is call deflection, we need to implement a certain technology, and now we need to choose. You know, which of the vendors out there is, is going to be able to provide us the ROI that we expect. Very helpful. Thanks so much, everybody. And thank you. And that is our last question. I would now like to turn the call back to Matthew Frankel for closing remarks. Thank you, operator, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, of course, feel free to reach out with any questions you have. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Have a good night. Take care. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. <laughs>